welcome to People Who Make Hospitality, a podcast about and for people who make this industry what it is. So I'm your host, Yana Poisha, and today's episode is a very special one. I'm joined by two incredible men, Josh Littlejohn and David Gallagher. So just let me quickly introduce them, even though it's pretty much an impossible task to summarise everything that they do and a few very short sentences. So Josh Littlejohn is one of the world's leading social entrepreneurs and campaigners, having led a global movement to tackle homelessness and displacement. So Josh is a founder of The Social Bite, which is both a charity and a social enterprise who have in recent years run some national and global campaigns that have shifted the cultural dial really on homelessness and pioneered some groundbreaking social impact projects. And having a conversation with Josh today is David Gallagher, who's a divisional director at Mitchell and Butler's. And he's overlooking some of the most loved and famous brands in the UK, like Toby Carvery, Harvester and Stonehouse. And David has over 30 years experience of working in the industry, having worked for many well-known hospitality companies in the UK. So we're here today to talk about Social Bite, what do they do, and actually how our organisations are working together. So over to you, David. Thanks, Jana. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm, I'm delighted today to be joined by Josh from Social Bites. Um, Josh, for, for, for the listener who's maybe not aware, of social bites and you know, the journey you, you guys have been on over the last few years. Can, can you just tell us a little bit about how it all started for you? Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Social Bite are like now a really big charity working uh, in, in tackling the issue of homelessness and helping homeless people. Um, but it all started around nine years ago um, and we opened up a little kind of cafe, coffee shop, sandwich shop in the city centre of Edinburgh, and we called it Social Bite. Originally, to be honest, the idea didn't really have anything to do with the homelessness issue at all, and it kind of happened by accident, really. And we were in this cafe making sandwiches and serving customers, and there was a young homeless man who was 19 years old, and his name was Pete, and he was selling the Big Issue magazine on the street corner just outside the front door of the cafe. And after a couple of weeks of us being open, Pete kind of plucked up the courage one day and he came into the cafe and he asked us if he could have a job. And we kind of thought, why not? It seemed like quite a nice thing to do. Uh, so we gave him a job in the kitchen. And we basically just saw that he was working really hard and we saw the employment was quite transformative for him. And we thought we'd maybe try it again. And so we asked Pete if he knew, knew anybody else that was homeless that might want a job. And he suggested his brother, uh, Joe, who was also selling the big issue. So we said, okay, and we gave Joe a job and then he was working hard and another job came up and we said, you want anybody else, guys? And they said, well, there's a guy down the street called John. He might be okay. So we gave him a job. And then I think kind of at this point, it sort of dawned on them all that we were sort of soft touches, really, uh, <laughs> as employers. And they could maybe get some jobs for some of their other friends. And they suggested a guy called Colin. Um, so basically, by accident, almost, we got involved in this issue by offering jobs to people in that, that situation of homelessness in this little cafe. And as we got a little bit more immersed in the issue, we decided to introduce this kind of pay it forward system in the cafe where we'd encourage customers who were coming in if they wanted to, to maybe buy something extra. And so customers started to say, okay, I'll buy an extra sandwich or an extra hot drink. Oh, nice. And we started to invite homeless people into the cafe. Mm. Uh, and again, almost before we'd realized that we're maybe feeding 40 or 50 people every day in this little cafe. So mm. this kind of became the, the origins and the ethos uh, of social bite around nine years ago mm-hmm. and we decided after some time to try and sort of expand the cafes and open a little chain um, and 
maybe give Starbucks a bit of a run for their money here in Scotland. And we managed to open uh, five cafes um, in Edinburgh, Glasgow and Aberdeen. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the origins of it all. I guess sometimes, Josh, there's you know, sometimes a little bit of stigma or people have certain preconceptions of what homelessness means and, and you know, how people might be. How, how did you kind of approach getting over those those barriers? Well, because we kind of got into it very accidentally and organically and naively, um, it was a real learning curve, you know, for me personally, in terms of understanding people's backgrounds. And, you know, personally, I was dealt some very, very lucky cards in life. Um, you know, I'd really loving and supportive parents have been financially supported. I was helped to go to university you know, and all, all this kind of thing, as a lot of people are. Mm. Um, so that's my paradigm of the world. Um, and as we were meeting these people, either through offering them jobs or people that were coming in for the free food, we just started to ask people anecdotally, you know, so what's your story? How did you end up homeless? And it became a bit spooky, really, because almost everyone that we asked had broadly quite a similar story. It kind of seemed like we were hearing a similar story on repeat, and it was typically... You know, I suffered a really abusive childhood. I grew up in the care system. Uh, you bounced around different care homes. I became yeah. when I was 16 and, you know, it smacked me around the face, really, um, that we're all a product in some way of the cards were dealt. And, and these people are have been dealt the worst possible cards. And I think that it really hit me how cruel society was because when they did become homeless at 16, 17, 18, whenever it was, then the stigma kicks in, mm. you know suddenly the world turns its back a bit and you're almost a bit shunned and it's very difficult for you to ever kind of get back into any form of mainstream society or employment or so on. So yeah, definitely my eyes opened just how difficult a journey it's been for most people that we walk past on the streets. You know, there's a long story before that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, 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 you know, the kind of vicious circle could really kick in mm -hmm. early on and it, it must be very difficult um, to exit from it. Now, mm -hmm. have, please, I have done a little bit um, of, of research. Now, um, you kind of very modestly talked about um, you know, the beginnings of it and moving to a slightly bigger chain. And I, I was fascinated to read about the, what would you call, I guess you'd call it a super A-list endorsement. About. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, as I say, we had about five cafes or so, and we were we'd made it a policy that one in three of our workforce would be people that have struggled with homelessness and we were giving out quite a vast quantity of food um, across this chain of cafes by, by this point this is a few years into it mm -hmm. but out with the kind of immediate localities of the shops pretty much no one would have ever really heard of us or, or know anything about what we did really and um, but yeah we got a bit of a crazy profile boost in 2015 when uh, somewhat speculatively as crazy as it sounds I decided to write a letter uh, to George Clooney um, as you do and uh, invited George Clooney to come to Edinburgh um, and come and visit our little cafe. And yeah, amazingly, in November 2015, yeah, he did come. And as you could imagine, um, the city of Edinburgh seemed to grind to a bit of a screeching halt. <laughs> uh, about uh, 200 women had been camping outside the cafe since about six in the morning, just to kind of catch a, a glimpse of him. And by the time he arrived, the scene outside our little cafe on Rose Street, it was like that scene from the movie Notting Hill where the characters yeah. were just hundreds of paparazzi, there was news trucks, <laughs> hundreds of, the whole street was lined with a kind of um, 
hundreds of people. And yeah, it was, you know, pretty, pretty surreal. And I went into the, the newsagent the next day and suddenly Social Bite was on the front page of every single national newspaper in the whole of the United Kingdom. It was on the BBC News at six. I had cousins that live in South Africa that were phoning me up saying, I've just seen you on the news. Yeah. So all of a sudden our tiny little charity and social enterprise had a big profile. We thought, you know, we may, maybe could try and capitalize on that um, to develop a bit more ambitious fundraising activities, some bit more ambitious kind of programs and projects around the issue. And, you know, maybe try and have a louder voice when it comes to campaigning about the issue of homelessness. So it was definitely, you know, a really pivotal moment so you popped in for an espresso? Yeah, an espresso. We we um, made a little platter of sandwiches. That's the thing all the journalists asked when he left. Yeah. What sandwich did he eat? Um, and to be honest with you, he didn't actually have have any of the platter because um, he was so busy chatting to all the staff and all the rest of it. But I think I just made something up and said, oh, you know, <laughs> chicken pesto or whatever it was. <laughs> but no, he's really like, yeah, w one of those people where he was just phenomenally charming and really funny and he was really like gracious of all the staff and he gave a thousand pound donation into the pay it forward wow. jar um, and stuff so yeah it was a, a brilliant experience. What, what was he like to talk to you? What, what was his frame of reference? Was he aware of the cafe before? Um, not until we just sort of approached him um, but yeah he was just like honestly one of the most kind of char genuinely charming and funny guys that, that I've, I've come across um, and he just kind of took the whole thing in his stride and you know laughing joking taking selfies with, with all the team and, mm -hmm. and for me that was particularly special because these are guys I'd seen just come off the streets yeah. years or months prior and suddenly there they are uh, mugging up with selfies with George Clooney and all the rest of it and it's yeah one of those kind of things where it's amazing what can happen um, when you kind of just try and get out there and try yeah. and do something and it's kind of yeah, quite quite surreal. So you said so the, you know, the attention from that would be, I mean, I, I remember seeing it, um, you know, on MSN, that you know, the attention is just off the chart in, yeah. in terms of that kind of event. So how, how, how did you guys decide to build on that, um, you know, the kind of reputation and, you know, everything that goes with it? Yeah, well, I, I think that um, we decided to just raise our ambition really in terms of what we wanted to try and do in this kind of space of homelessness and you know, over the years, we've been really phenomenally supported by the public, by businesses, um, you know, and there just seemed to me that Scotland was kind of a small enough country and a compassionate enough country that it's not beyond the realms of possibility, not beyond the realms of our collective wit to try and create a society where nobody should have to be homeless. And we thought, you know, that's a message we want to try and amplify. Um, so we decided to create these campaigns that were based on the idea of inviting people from all walks of life uh, to come and sleep out on a very cold um, winter's night to sort of do so to get a little glimpse into the reality of what it might, might be like to be homeless, to do it in solidarity, um, but to do it really to raise awareness, to create a sense of political urgency um, and also to raise hopefully what would be a really substantial sum of money. So we created these campaigns called Sleep in the Park. Mm -hmm. And the first big one took place in December 2017. Um, and we wanted to, to try and get thousands of people uh, to come and sleep out together en masse. And we started to reach out to people from all walks of life. So we went to the business communities and 
on to chief executives and workforces. We went to the high schools and uh, the churches and the mosques and kind of any segment of society we could. And we said, look, we want to pull together people from all walks of life to come and really take a stand about this issue and collectively say that we want to create a country where no one should have to be homeless and everyone that does it, we want you to get a fundraising page and raise some money and we're gonna invest that money on some hopefully really pioneering projects to help move the dial on the issue. And what ended up happening that year was 8,000 people um, came from all over Scotland um, and slept in Princess Street Gardens. We booked out Princess Street Gardens, put on a big concert. We had Liam Gallagher headlining it. And we did like a bedtime story. So John Cleese came and told a bedtime story. Oh. 8,000 people. And then after that, they all got in their sleeping bags and slept, slept out. And as fate would have it, um, it turned out that particular night to be the coldest night of the entire year. Um, temperatures dropped to minus six degrees and everyone kind of shivered through the night and woke up with frost on their sleeping bags. And they all had their fundraising pages and those 8,000 people collectively raised four million pounds. Um, yeah, so it was kind of an amazing effort um, an amazing kind of fundraising success. And we repeated that event then in four cities uh, in Scotland in 2018. And then in 2019, we took it all over the world and we created an event called the World's Big Sleepout. Um, and that took place in 52 cities all over the world and we really tried to make a noise about the issue of homelessness. Mm. It had, took part in a place in Trafalgar Square in London. Um, and yeah, you know, that's helped us to really increase the volume of our, our campaign and our voice, but also raise a lot of money, which we've managed to invest, you know, in, in some, some projects to hopefully make a big difference. And did, 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 did people get a sense, or I mean, I'm guessing in minus six they probably did, but um, did people get a sense of what life must be like? I, I can't begin to imagine what it must be like not to have a home to go home to or a bed to sleep in. You, was, was it more, did, did people get more than just, you know, I've done this once, I raised a bit of money? Was it deeper than that? I think so. I mean, I obviously did it every year myself that, that, we, that we did it. And the expe the kind of thing that hit me i think hit most people and a lot of people you know that i've spoke to that also did it felt the same which was basically it was you know pretty tough to get through for one night it was actually amazing looking around at all the thousands of people many of whom were from the business community and so on and how many people had snuck in a little hip flask you know <laughs> to kind of get through the night and you, you know you start to think the link between homelessness and addiction suddenly becomes a bit more mm -hmm. obvious um but the thing that really hits you, you know, you get through it one night, it's when you're making your way home um, and you're frozen and you're mm -hmm. shivery. And then you go home and you get a shower and a change of clothes and you get maybe under your duvet or whatever. And you think, Christ, I couldn't imagine doing it again a second night. You know, one night's okay, but to do it a second or a third. And then you think, if I didn't, wasn't able to come home, but I just went into a doorway and I shivered through the day and then slept out, another night that it wouldn't take you any more than a couple of nights i think for me personally to break me do you know what i mean it wouldn't be long before i'm turning to the bottle or so you know so it's something to try and escape it so um i think it was very eye-opening for, for everyone that took part from that perspective and i know that we've got thousands of really passionate advocates um for, for the cause and really passionate supporters because they have had that that glimpse into it uh, mm -hmm. You, you, I guess you must get get quite a sense of, you know, as you say, it's, it's bad enough having to, you know, sleep sleep out and not have the the comforts that we're all 
used to, but there, there's the kind of constant threat of violence and robbery that I mean, you, you must hear horrendous stories. Oh yeah, 100%. And again, that was the other thing that you're really aware of taking part in the event. You know, you're in a closed space, it's a managed event. You know, you've probably invested in a really good sleeping bag. You've just watched a concert. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no means, by no means any form of replication. And you, you're, ab- you're absolutely aware that if it was in a doorway, it's the threat of violence. As you say, it's that feeling of complete uncertainty. Yeah, um, mobility. Exactly, but complete vulnerability. Yeah. So, you know, I think ev- everyone's really aware of that. And, you know, it must be um, just traumatic. So you raised a ton of cash. Yeah. Um, which, you know, for, for any charity, that's a significant amount of money. Well, what, what were the kind of immediate plans to, to, to use that money? Well, we invested it pr- primarily in two uh, key programmes in, t- in terms of the monies we raised in Scotland. The monies we raised at the global event was distributed to charities all over the world in the, the events, uh, the cities where the events took place. But for the monies that we raised in Scotland, um, we invested it primarily in two kind of major projects. So one project was uh, something we're really proud of, proud of called the Social Bite Village. Um, and what that project was, was basically trying to literally build homes and build a small village for people in a situation of homelessness to develop an accommodation model um, that can be a really positive alternative to some of the, the really awful kinds of accommodations that people yeah. otherwise have to go to. Um, so with that project, we basically approached Edinburgh Council and we asked them if they had any vacant land we might be able to take on to, to build uh, a small village for, for people in a situation of homelessness where we would have an on-site support um, and, and try and you know, really help give people a hand up out of that situation and then ultimately try and help them into their own flat. So the council identified a few different potential options of land that they had available and we managed to agree with them a particular plot um, in the north of the city um, which is just pretty much perfect which is right next to the sea um, it's kind of set in nature and stuff but it's, at the same time it's close to bus links and a supermarket and all the rest of it so we agreed with them this plot and then we used the funds raised to put into production um, 11 two-bedroom prefabricated homes um, which were manufactured in a factory in, in the high, highlands and they're really incredibly high spec high quality homes like the shelf life of them um, is a, about 100 years plus so it's an extremely, wow. extremely high quality build we put in the best quality of furnishings um, you know beautiful things on the wall each house has a little kind of garden with, with plants and flowers we built a big central community hub um, for people to come and to, to socialise. And uh, we partnered up with a local charity here called the Serenians who are on site um, with about five full-time support staff delivering support. Um, so that project launched in 2018 and there's around 20 people that lived there at one time. Um, so far about 43 people have been helped um, through that project. And it's a really, uh, we're really, really pleased with the results and the outcomes um, that we're seeing from it and in a position now where we're starting to embark on some plans to try and replicate uh, the village and build two more in two new cities, um, including one in London, is our intention. Mm-hmm. Um, go on. One of the things that struck me, um, you know, one of the few good things that emerged over the last 18 months or so, Josh, was the, the um, efforts that the, the Scottish and English governments and the Welsh Assembly made 
during the pandemic to try and take people off the streets and, and you kind of bring homelessness mm -hmm. away, if, if, if you like. Did, did, does that strike you as, is that a long lasting campaign or was that a, a kind of small gesture in order to kind of try and drive vaccination rates? Well, I think, yeah, 100%. <coughs> it was um, one of the most profoundly positive things that, that came out, out <coughs> excuse me, came out of the pandemic um, was that throughout the UK um, and, and in Scotland, um, almost all rough sleepers at one point were brought off the streets uh, and into accommodation. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the reason that that happened almost overnight was because homelessness because of the pandemic suddenly stopped becoming a housing issue, which is historically viewed as, and it was viewed as a public health issue. And the government was obviously giving messages to the public that we had to stay at home, we had to self-isolate, but you had this cohort of thousands of people who were on the streets and obviously they didn't have a home to help self-isolate in. And also they couldn't go to some of the more traditional forms of homeless accommodation, which are kind of like, Maps, you know, beds side by side in big kind of congregate hostels. Um, so, but because it was a public health issue, the sort of bureaucratic rule book kind of got ripped up, and everyone was brought in. A lot of hotels were booked out, um, and yeah, we found saw a situation where um, the vast majority of rough sleepers throughout the United Kingdom were housed. So, I think one of the most positive things about that goes is that it shows that when the will is there, the political will is there. We yeah. can do it. Um, yeah. You know, I think the big challenge is now is that throughout the UK, we're starting to see those numbers of you know, people on the streets creep back up, um, you know, in some cases quite substantially. I think in, in many cities, it's kind of back to pre-pandemic levels, which is heartbreaking. Um, what about the, the, the people who were brought into these, these centres, as, as you were speaking to them and through your relationship with them, what, what, how, how did they feel about it? Did, did they... You know, did they see this? This was tokenism, or did they see this as actually this could be something that's long term for me? I think they th they thought it was all very very positive, but at the same time, by its nature, it wasn't long term because it was mm. most of it was booking hotel rooms. Okay. Uh, so it was always clear that that was never a long term solution. Um, you know, talking about some of the areas we invested the funds that was raised at the sleepouts in. Uh, you know, relating to this point of people sleeping rough, the other big project, which I think is a really, really important um, program and an important blueprint for, for, for tackling rough sleeping specifically in the UK, is a program called Housing First and that we helped to develop off the back of the sleepouts. And this is kind of an idea that originated in New York uh, many years ago and it's been adopted particularly prevalently in Scandinavian countries like Finland is quite often cited um, for this kind of policy and basically what the idea of it is is that if you are homeless and you're on the streets then the first point of intervention the first thing that you need is a house that's why it's called housing first whereas traditionally the way we've responded to homelessness in the UK is we treat the house as the last thing that somebody needs and we kind of say you need to get on top of your mental health issues and your addiction issues and you need to maybe be ready to work and if you can show us that you're over all these hurdles then the house is kind of there at the end of the journey for you whereas common sense would tell you you know when you think about it if you're on the street with you know everything that that entails as we discussed at this earlier in the, in, on the podcast um 
it's almost impossible for you to get on top of any of these issues because it's so yeah. uh, dramatic and, and terrifying. So housing first basically says, if you're on the street, let's try and get you into a mainstream flat, mainstream one bedroom flat typically, and it's your flat permanently. Mm -hmm. So it's not a temporary thing. You're in there and that's your flat. And the missing link with, with this program is it invests in a comprehensive wraparound support uh, so that when someone gets the keys to their flat, they also get a dedicated um, quite intensive, should it be required, support worker yes. so that they can deal with all their issues um, what, for, from the stability of having their own home. So that, mm. pro that program launched just off the back of the sleep house and it's something that the Scottish government, we've, it, we've um, managed to, to encourage the Scottish government to support significantly. Um, so, so we invested um, over two million pounds in it and the Scottish government invested six and a half million. Um, and that's so far helped 540 people um, from a situation of literally on the streets into their own flat. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, so far it's got an 84% um, tenancy sustainment rate. So 84% of people are still in, in those flats. Oh. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, in terms of coming out of the pandemic, um, and thinking what are the longer term solutions for, for tackling uh, rough sleeping. You know, I think that's the housing first model's got an important role to play. Yeah. So you started to touch earlier, Josh, on the kind of, you know, the, the movement out of Scotland. So you guys, you know, set up with the five counties initially um, and, and a very kind of almost got a global reach. Um, but how, how's that kind of playing out in other parts of the UK? Yeah, we've got some really exciting things coming up um, in, in terms of expanding our work and the different things we do um, throughout the UK. So we, we're opening up a cafe in, in London um, in um, October, November. Uh, on the We have a, a unit on the Strand um, that mm. we've been offered. Um, so that's going to be yeah, open, opening up in a few months' time. And again, that's going to be a vehicle for us to offer employment opportunities. We're looking to work with employers, including, uh, you know, yourselves, Mitchells and Butler, yeah. um, to open up employment opportunities um, in mainstream employers as well, where we can help provide the support alongside it, um, as well as the pay it forward mechanism and, and using that as a, as a means to uh, create a, a food distribution and also create an environment where people can come into the cafe uh, and, you know, get that sense of, self-esteem and, and stuff and doing yeah. so um, that that that's an important one and we're looking to try, try and explore other cities you know we've got an opportunity in Manchester as well um, okay after London one and we'll be keen to explore other cities in England as well um, the other big one is the replicating the social bike village project so again we're working to try and secure a plot of land in London um, and Tentatively speaking, we've been offered a plot um, by a big utilities company, the big utilities company in London, um, which is in the east of the city, just right next door to West Ham Football Stadium. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, it's kind of set in nature. It's next to mm -hmm. little now, but it's 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 right connected as well. So, um, you know, that's an exciting one. If we get that land over the line, then we'll be going full guns to try and make that pro project happen. Um, and yeah, you know, one of the other things that we do is um, we open up our, the doors of our cafe every Christmas, our cafes every Christmas on Christmas Day, we do the big Christmas dinner service for homeless people. Yeah. And that's something we in partnership with Mitchells and Butler, 
last Christmas we rolled out right throughout the UK working with lots and lots of different charities to help uh, fundraise to help them open their doors and provide a big Christmas dinner service so that's something we seek to continue and uh, do that right throughout all the different uh, major cities in the UK mm -hmm. in Wales and Ireland as well so but we, we, we touched on the, the, the pandemic a couple of times. How, how, how did the pandemic affect the, the cafes, particularly? And you know, we, we had closures. I'm sure you, you, you guys had the same the same issues. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously the same as yourselves and the same as everyone in hospitality when it first kind of kicked in. I remember in mid March, uh, 2020. Um, you know, it was a bit of a crisis moment, really, for, for the charity and thinking you know, a big part of what we do is, is these cafes um, and they're all in city centre locations, all very much relying on office workers and then pretty much overnight um, they, they were closed. We have a big like central production kitchen facility okay. uh, in Livingston and that historically has a big focus of it's been doing corporate catering. So we do sandwich platters for board meetings and again, obviously when the offices closed, that was just completely yeah. gone. So we were kind of slightly uh, panicked about, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to have to make a lot of people redundant? That was particularly troubling for us because, as I say, a big proportion of our workforce are people from homeless backgrounds. So the consequences of redundancy um, in that circumstance are potentially much, much worse um, than even uh, otherwise potentially. So um, that was kind of the mid March point when the, when it first kicked in and thankfully we decided to um, try and kind of come up with a plan through the pandemic to utilize our infrastructure to continue kind of trying to, to help people uh, uh, and kind of help get the charity through it also so we were aware that there was going to be a lot of people potentially on the bread line as a result, a result of the pandemic. And we decided to repurpose the central kitchen and all the cafes and basically create a big food uh, distribution and food uh, okay. provision initiative. So um, we kind of repurposed all the staff and said, look, we're going to start making these food packs, basically like a pat lunch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we started to phone other charities and said, look, we're going to start uh, making these food packs. Do you have a client base that would value that? And lots of charities said yes. So we ended up with 99 charities who were placing daily orders with us um, and then we went out to the public and we approached the Scottish government and we said look this is what we plan to do you know please support us and we were again given it was a time where economically it was so uncertain for people we were really blown away by the gen everyone's generosity everyone put, you know really got behind that and that enabled us as an organization to sort of trade through it for want of a better word um, because it gave us a focus for you know a good 12, 12, 18 months where we focused on that. Um, you know, and now we're just starting to try and get slightly more back to, to business as usual and yeah. get the cafes uh, you know opened up again. That's a terrific, terrific solution. Yeah, it was one of those ones where you're kind of uh, you know, really thankful that we managed to to pivot kind of what we're doing and as lots of people did and as as I'm sure um you guys did. Uh, you know, everyone was thinking of new ways and new ideas just to try and get through it. Indeed. Um, we, we, are, we are, you know, absolutely delighted that we've had the chance to get to know Social Bites, get to know you um, a wee bit more. Um, and we've got some plans 
you know, going into the next sort of 12 months or so. Um, what have you got in store for m and Well, for m and like I'm so excited about the, this kind of partnership um, that we've been developing with, with M&B. Uh, you know, I think we've, it's in that Social Bites origins, the power of like host, the hospitality industry really to make a, a big difference in the lives of our most vulnerable people. And I think, you know, we've got, we're a tiny little operation by comparison to M&B. Um, so I think the scale of uh, business that you are and all, uh, you know, as you mentioned at the start, the kind of flagship mo- most loved bar and restaurant brands in Britain, there's really the opportunity to make a tremendous difference. And I think, you know, we can do that in a couple of key ways. One is looking at the employment base of M&B um, uh, and trying to think how we can create uh, opportunities for people from a homeless background or a background that might otherwise be excluded and do that in a way where we can take all the learnings that Social Bite have learned over the last nine years and you know, know how that employment might need to be structured and this kind of support people might need alongside it and try and do something on a much bigger scale. And then I think the other thing I'm really excited about, I, met, I mentioned that we do this big Christmas campaign every year. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think there's a, a fantastic opportunity with Mitchell's and Butler. We've done it with a few restaurants locally over the last few years, whereby um, we encourage diners to put a little table card on, on the tables and diners are coming in and a lot of offices are in for the Christmas parties. And in the, you know, the few, few weeks running up to Christmas, we offer diners the chance to buy a homeless person a Christmas dinner. So when, the, when diners are in and they're, you know, paying their bill basically they have a little card and they say oh can I add five pounds and buy a Christmas dinner and it's something that people really respond Mm -hmm. so positively to and as I say we normally do that maybe with six 60 or so independent 40 or 60 independent kind of places and on average they raise about a thousand pounds per venue Um, you know so Mitchell's and Butler obviously the scale of venues you have across the UK I think we've got the potential to collaborate to really um raise a tremendous wow. amount of funds which we could work with you to then invest in uh, a range of initiatives whether that's food provision and at, at christmas and over the winter months or whether it's more longer term interventions um, and i think that there's a real scope there to, to make a massive difference so yeah we couldn't be more yes. excited well, we, we're looking forward to working with you on it mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there'll be loads of people listening to the podcast josh that are thinking um you know, I, I, I'm incredibly lucky not to be in this situation. If, if, if there's one thing that they, they could do, that we could do to, to make a small difference to the world of rough sleeping, what, what, what would you suggest to think about? I mean, I think, um, I suppose I'd say a couple of things. I think one of the things that struck me when, you know, we fir- first got engaged in this year and we started to speak to people um about being in that situation we kind of asked them what's the what's the worst thing about it and what quite often was said is that it wasn't to do with necessarily lack of food or lack of shelter even what people often said is they felt invisible Uh, and it's the thing you mentioned right at the start of the call about stigma Mm uh you know where you kind of don't make eye contact and and so on so i think uh you know a warm word a smile you know a little chat with someone getting them a coffee things like that make a bigger difference than than you even might realize Um, and then obviously um there's lots and lots of amazing charities throughout the uk you know i'd encourage people to look at what's happening locally 
in their area, look at volunteering uh, opportunities, look at ways to donate. Certainly people want to support Social Bike and um, there's lots of ways they can do that. We've got a big bike uh, cycle ride with Sir Chris Hoy happening um, on September the 5th. So everyone's welcome to join us for that or we're doing a virtual event um, or get involved in our Christmas campaigns and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, just get, get involved um, in a charity or if, if not, go and uh, you know, have a nice word of someone and that, that can make a big difference in and of itself. Just that's a lovely message to end on, just acknowledging people's humanity and saying hello can, can go can mm -hmm. go a huge way. Yeah. Um, listen, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have the chance to talk with you today and share the Social Bite story um, with some of our listeners. You're absolutely delighted that MB have had a chance in a small way to you know, try and help you, the team, continue what is just an amazing, inspiring network. Josh, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much to David and Josh for this absolutely incredible conversation. I find it fascinating and eye-opening in a way. And it's great to hear that there's so many things planned to grow the support that's provided to people who are currently homeless. And as an organisation, we have a lot of positive influence. So I would like to encourage all of our listeners to get involved. There's a link to the Social Bite website in the show notes, so you can check it out. And actually, if you're listening to this episode when it comes out in August, you still have a bit of time to sign up for the bike ride with Sir Chris Hoy. And just wanted to add on a more personal note that um, is a complete coincidence that the three of us all have Scottish accents. This was not planned. <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you have, please share it with others. Please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes in the future. And also remember you can follow us on Instagram. It will be linked below. And if you have a good story to share or you would like to get involved, please get in touch. I will leave the email below. Thank you so much. Bye.